0: to Hosea. Hosea. And let's stand together to read one brief verse and somebody with a black Toyota truck. Your lights are on. I want you to be able to get home. You're out this way. I believe God too, but I believe that battery will die if you don't go fix it. So, Hosea chapter 8 verse 7. I have um. I've really prayed about this, and the Lord will not let me move on in any other message direction until I address what happened at Virginia Tech two weeks ago. Uh, This will be a strong word. I want to talk to you about our country and what I believe the Bible is telling us about our country and what God has to say about America. Uh though it's a strong word, it's a good word. And I believe that we need to hear from God after a tragedy like that. A lot of people are asking, how could this happen in America, the land of mom, apple pie, Chevy? How could this happen? Well, we're going to see how it could happen. And it really should not surprise any of us. Hosea chapter 8, verse 7, Hosea is speaking to Israel. And here's what he says about Israel, God speaking through Hosea to Israel. He tells Hosea, they sow the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. My people have sown the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts. Help us to understand what's happening in our land so that we will know how to pray so that we will know how to respond. We thank you for the Holy Spirit permeating this place to open our eyes and open our hearts. Lord, thank you for speaking to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up. You need this today. <clears throat> and all cell phones are turned off. Amen. Let me give you a little bit of background here. Israel, the people of God, particularly the northern, the northern portion, which was uh, Israel, they have forsaken God in this particular context. Hosea is speaking to them because they have forsaken God. He has a word from God for them. They had cast out God's law. They had turned their own way. And they had even turned to bowing down to and worshiping other gods, gods of gold and gods of silver, wooden idols, bowing down and worshiping them instead of the true God. They claimed that they knew God, but in their actions in their daily life, they denied God. They rejected Him, like America. America. I think I read recently that 80% of people say they believe in God and they've been born again. I don't think so. Because our actions don't weigh it out. They claim to know God, but they weren't walking their talk. Israel had actually bowed down to these idols, and God's response to them through Isaiah was, my anger is aroused against them. My anger is aroused against them. Hosea describes their way of life like this. They are sowing the wind. They're sowing the wind. Now, think about that, and it paints a very graphic picture of sowing nothingness. Wind is all sound and fury, but it's empty. They were sowing emptiness. They were sowing nothingness, meaninglessness, that which had zero value. Their lives, the field of their lives, what were being sown with seeds of emptiness. He describes it further by saying, The stalk has no bud, it shall never produce a meal. What you're sowing, Israel, what you're sowing isn't going to feed you. What you're sowing isn't going to bless you. What you're sowing is not going to turn around and benefit you. This is God's picture. Of a life of sin. A life of sin is a life of sowing emptiness, sowing the wind. You sow the wind of meaninglessness, emptiness, the vanity of sin. That which looks like it has something, but it has nothing. It doesn't benefit you at all. Then Hosea brings a warning and he says this Here's what's gonna happen to you, Israel. You're gonna reap the whirlwind. You're gonna reap a whirlwind. Not only will what you're sowing not feed you, But what you're sowing is going to turn on you. It's going to grow up out of the field of your life. And it's going to turn on you. A desert whirlwind, when he said you're going to reap the whirlwind, the Hebrew word for whirlwind is equivalent to a hurricane or a tornado. It is a destructive, sweeping, raging wind. He is saying to them, you have sown the vacuous emptiness of sin... You will reap a whirlwind of of violence. Violence is what you're going to reap for what you have sown. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth about America today. What I believe is the truth about our land and what the Bible says about it. You see, folks, America claims to know God. But in acts, in their lifestyles, in their deeds, they deny God. American civilization is no longer a Christian one. Now, I'm going to say that again. American civilization is no longer a Christian one. We can no longer claim to be a Christian nation, for we are not characterized by Christian actions or a Christian persona. America is a post-Christian nation under relentless attack by secular humanists who are bent on removing every vestige of God from the American landscape. We are under attack today on the part of secular humanists. Those who do not believe in God, do not embrace God, do not believe the Bible, do not believe or think like you do. And one of the greatest focal points of this attack of the secular humanistic culture has been on our schools. Our schools are under attack Your children's minds are under attack. The secular humanists, the situational ethicists have come after your children and their mind. The secular humanist social engineers, and that's what they are, a social engineer seeks to change a culture, seeks to change the landscape of an entire culture. And the secular humanistic movement has become a social engineering movement desiring to change our society and they know that if you're going to do that you must capture the minds of the next generation and you do that through the schools. Social engineers don't want you and me. We're adults. Social engineers want the next generation. They want the children. They want the minds of the kindergartners, the minds of the first grades through sixth graders. They want to change and reshape their minds. Our schools have been attacked in a vicious attempt to remove God and God's Word from the minds of our children. And I want to tell you today, I believe because we have sown that wind, we are now reaping a whirlwind, a whirlwind of violence. And Virginia Tech will only be an example, another tragic event in a long line of events, if America doesn't turn. Now, let's just go back a little bit. The opening shot in this war was fired in 1963 when atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare won a Supreme Court decision banning prayer from our public schools. I don't think most people realize what a defining moment that was in the life of our culture. A defining moment is when something happens in your life that you know you will never be the same after it. Your life can be measured before and after a defining moment. Things were one way before the defining moment, and they are another way after the defining moment. And you can never go back once you've had a defining moment. And it can be good, and that can be bad. I have defining moments in God, and I thank God for those defining moments. But you can also have a bad defining moment. Our nation had a defining moment in 1963 when the Supreme Court bowed to the will of an avowed atheist because this nation was not built on atheism. This nation was built on Christian principles. We used to teach our children in schools the Word of God. They used to learn whole books. They knew Latin. They understood the Scriptures. And now that has been hijacked by secular humanists. And the opening salvo was fired in '63 several highly destructive decisions from the supreme court followed that name a few the removal of the ten commandments from school walls the removal of creationism the refusal to allow the teaching of creationism in our public schools etc cetera, etc cetera, ad nauseum if you look at the plague of school violence in america you'll find a direct correlation between the time God was removed and the rise of the insane violence we are now rocked with almost every time you watch the news. Three years after prayer was banned in schools, Charles Whitman climbed the tower at the UT of Austin and massacred 16 people with a rifle from that tower. In 1997... A 14-year-old student opened fire on a youth prayer group. Isn't that interesting? He chose a youth Christian prayer group. In Heath High School, killing three and wounding five others in 1998. Five people were killed in a middle school by a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. In 1998 in Arkansas, think about it, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. Crazy! Do you see these things happening in schools before 1963? No, you do not. In the year 2005, seven people were killed by a 16-year-old student. And then it just goes on and on. I could go through a bunch. Two were killed in Pearl, Mississippi. Two in Springfield, Oregon. 15 in Littleton, Colorado at Columbine. And now 32 people at Virginia Tech. And that is not an exhaustive list. Now, in the wake of all of this, here comes our national media wringing their hands. How could this happen? This is so terrible. I got to go on record here today and tell you something. I don't believe the national media. I don't believe them. And I believe that you ought to look at them with a level of skepticism as well because the national media has now become so politicized and so, so saturated with political correctness, we don't get the truth most of the time. I watch them with one eye open and the other eye on my Bible. I don't trust them. I think they have been corrupted. I don't think they're trustworthy. And I don't think they've proven themselves trustworthy. But here they are wringing their hands. How could this have happened? How can this happen in America? What in the world is wrong? What was wrong with this latest kid, Cho? I want to look at some answers today. Not my own, but answers out of God's Word. Then I want to offer some hope for our country. I believe there is hope. If America responds the right way, let me just share what I think has happened in our country that has released this violence. Not only the removal of God from the schools and from the public square, but re- right and wrong are no longer clearly defined in America. Right and wrong are no longer clearly defined in America. In America, we have been invaded by the philosophy of situational ethics. And you've got to understand, situational ethics means there is no absolute right and wrong. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Every truth is found in the context of a situation. What is wrong for me might be right for you. What is right for you might be wrong for me. You go your way and I'll go mine. If we happen to meet, it's beautiful. Situational ethics tells us that all morality, all right and wrong, depend on the situation and not on an absolute truth from an absolute source. But when I open up God's Word, I immediately find, clearly defined, rights and wrongs. The Ten Commandments are God's written code of morality and ethics. They have not passed away with the arrival of the New Covenant, the arrival of the New Testament. The Ten Commandments are as fresh today as they were when Moses received them on the mountain. And they're not hard to understand. They begin with, Thou shalt not. And do you think that God gives us those thou shalt nots? to be a divine killjoy so we won't have any fun to take all the party out of life. No. He gives us thou shalt not" to protect us from sorrow and tears and heartache and ruin and destruction. When I look at those thou shalt nots and I look at what I have seen of life, I see that those thou shalt nots are there to keep me from disaster. They are from a God of love who understands that our nature being a fallen nature will not naturally gravitate towards God's ways. So we need the Word to constantly pull us in that we might live a life that is safe from the ravages of sin. They are without debate. They're without controversy. And all the good laws that we have in America right now have come down from the Ten Commandments. Now, God gave them to us. God gave us the Ten Commandments as a deterrent a deterrent to crime, and a deterrent to wrongdoing. And do you know what? He commanded his people when they received those Ten Commandments, he said, here's what I want you to do with them. I want you to teach these commandments to your children. Listen to what the Bible says in Exodus 24, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written... I'm going to give them to you that you may teach them, that you may teach them. Then in Deuteronomy, God goes on and says, and what great nation is there that such statutes or that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law, which I set before you this day? He is saying, you're a blessed people because the nations that surround you right now, they don't have this law. They don't have this Word. They don't have this divine spiritual light. They're perishing because they don't understand the way God constructed life. But he said, but you've got light. And America had light. America was birthed in revival. America was birthed in Bible preaching and teaching. We were birthed in light. This is not news to us. He goes on and says, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. See, if you put this Bible down for a year, you'll forget what your eyes have seen. He said, but you keep it in front of you all the time so that you don't forget what your eyes have seen because we tend to remember what we ought to forget and we tend to forget what we ought to remember. He said, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And here's what he said. Now, teach them to your children and teach them to your grandchildren. Gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. He said, I gave you that, those commandments and I've given you this Bible, this book, is owned by more people than any other book in America, but it gathers more dust than any other book in America. Open its pages. Let the light shine. I mean, put the Word of God on your heart every day, because the Bible here says that God gave the commandments so that we would walk in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the byproduct of reading the Word of God. He goes on in Deuteronomy chapter 11, and he says, Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you drive to McDonald's. Teach them a commandment. When you tuck them in at night, say, Now, what's that third commandment? What's that fifth commandment? Come on, sweetie, what's that eighth commandment? I want you to know the commandments because the commandments deposit into the hearts of children the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You don't even have a thimble full of wisdom until you've got the fear of the Lord operating in your heart. That doesn't mean I'm in dread terror of God. It means I know if I break his laws, there are consequences that I will not escape. Don't shout me down. I'm going to get this CD. Preach it, Jeff. Come on. He says, I want you to teach your children when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied and not cut short. To honor the Word of God is to have your days multiplied and not cut short. So God taught his people that as parents, their primary responsibility was to teach their children the commands of God, that they would understand right from wrong as well as consequences. And he gave them unchanging absolutes. I am so glad that I have I have the security of the Bible. This Bible, this Word, has not changed after all these centuries. Cultures have changed. People have changed. Laws have changed. Personalities have changed. Leaders have changed fads have come and go. Pop culture comes and pop culture goes. Things change all the time, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It is forever the same. He doesn't change one jot or one tittle to suit us. He says, I didn't give you my word for you to pick it apart. I gave it for it to pick you apart and put you on the right road. The wise man will receive this word and walk in the fear of the Lord. But now, think with me again of what has happened in America since the 1960s in light of what I just read to you. Prayer to God was removed from the schools. The Ten Commandments were removed from school walls, with one Supreme Court justice literally saying they might warp the minds of our children. I'm going to ask you a million-dollar question today. Look at our children's minds before they were taken down and look at them now that they've been taken down and tell me which mind is warped. Since the 1960s, the mention of Jesus Christ in Christmas plays has been systematically removed with the help of the Against Christian Liberties Union, otherwise known as the ACLU. I said the Against Christian Liberties Union otherwise known as the ACLU, which I believe is the most dangerous, destructive organization in our country today. And I believe we ought to pray that God brings it down. They've done everything in the world they can to destroy us. (laughs) The mention of one nation under God in the Pledge of Allegiance has been attacked and in many instances removed. So God's Word of Absolutes and God Himself have been removed from the school systems nationwide and now so plagued with violence. Get this. Instead of prayer and instead of the Ten Commandments, we've now got metal detectors. I read this week that one state is looking for a new law to allow them to handcuff elementary school children who cannot any longer be controlled. We have armed guards at the doors, pervasive fear and runaway violence— Since God was asked to leave the schools. Our schools now focus instead on self-esteem and feelings trump thought. And if it feels right for you, then it's right. And it's what you feel as an individual that's most important because after all, the whole solar system revolves around you, which is deadly. The solar system revolves around him and his purpose for us. And sanity comes into your life when you make him the center of your life and not you. Now I want you to listen. What's happened to the schools is only a reflection of what's happened in the culture at large. That could never have happened. And that's why 1963, Madeline Murray O'Hare and that decision about prayer, that's why it was such a defining moment. Because it brought to the surface and showed clearly that our nation was adrift that it was leaving its dependence on God. In our prosperity, we have said we don't need God anymore. We've begun to walk away from God. Now we're running away from God. Our entire culture, as an official entity, has rejected Judeo Christian morality and ethics and embraced the plain vanilla, pale shade of gray, wishy washy philosophy of situational ethics and secular humanism, which says, I am God. Romans has something to say about that. Romans chapter 1, which you ought to read this week very slowly. It'll tell you a lot about our country. Romans 128 says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. God gave them over. God turned them over to do those things which are not fitting when you kick God out of your intellectual thought processes, when you don't consider God, ponder God, think about God any longer, when you ask him to leave your life and you don't even think about him, there comes a time if you do it long enough, God turns you over. And to me, that is the most frightening, frightening warning in the whole Bible. We often think of judgment as being fire and earthquakes and storms and hail and all of this dynamic stuff. But the worst judgment is when God says, That's what you want? Go ahead. Bye. And there's no more conviction, no more conscience. No more intervention on the part of the Holy Spirit to turn you back. I believe if you were to ask me, where is America, Pastor Jeff? I would say, on the precipice. And God is about to say, go ahead. Now, I believe the second cause of this violent plague, is that we have devalued life. We've devalued life. Now, in a couple of major ways, let me talk to you about those. Abortion has devalued life. Now, as, as soon as I say that word, it's a buzzword, and it sets off all kinds of varying emotions, even in a crowd like this. Some people get immediately, I'm always going to talk about abortion. Don't tell me I shouldn't be pro-choice. And all the political buzzwords jump into our mind, and they muddy the waters. I want you to forget about that for a minute. And let me suggest something to you, that abortion has damaged us more than taking away from us an entire generation of children, an entire generation of children that would have stimulated a capitalistic society, a capitalistic um, um, financial condition, would have stimulated the, the, the capitalism in the free world and worked and made their contribution and added to what we have, but 30 million or so kids that would have been those who helped defend us under attack. But even more sinister than that, I think we've got to understand, no matter where you are on the whole deal with abortion, abortion devalues life. It devalues life. How often do we read about a teen these days giving birth to a baby and discarding it in a trash bin. And it comes along about once every month or two. We read some story. A teenager has a baby. We find the baby was laid in the street in a sack, left in somebody's alleyway, left in some uncaring, apathetic, tragic condition, someplace where that child just lay there and died. You say, how can a ch- teenager do that? I tell you, if you teach children that in the womb, a child has no value, that translates into no value out of it. No value in the womb means there's no value out of the womb. Why should I value life out here when it's not valued in here? The scripture teaches that a child in the womb is the very handiwork of God. I want you to just hear what the Bible says about it. David speaks under the inspiration of the Spirit, and he is looking up at God and he says, You formed my inward parts. You were integrally involved in the weaving of who I was, even in the womb of my mother. You constructed me, you wove me like a tapestry in my mother's womb. You were involved from the moment of conception being involved integrally in my genetic makeup, chromosomal makeup, what the tone of my voice would be, the color of my hair and eyes. You, God, were involved. I was a handiwork of God in the womb. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. God was looking into the womb. And looking at your substance, looking at what they call a fetus. But God said, there's Bill, there's Sue, there's Jill, there's Jim. And God was looking and looking way down the tunnel of time when you would fulfill his purpose for your life. God was looking. He says... In your book, all my days were written, when as yet there was not even one. You've got a schedule, a calendar, and in that calendar is my name and all the days of my life. And so when you go in and you abort a child, you're short-circuiting the work of God. I'm not meaning to condemn anybody. If you've had an abortion, I'm going to tell you, God forgives, and God's a God of new beginnings. But we can't not tell the truth about it out of fear of offending or hurting somebody who's had one. Listen, it's taking a life. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. The third one is hands that shed innocent blood. There is no blood more innocent than the blood of a child who hasn't even said yes or no once. Well, not only abortion devalues life, but the teaching of evolution has devalued life. I want to tell you something, church. Why don't you hear me on this one? Evolution has been a tragic lie. Evolution has been so dastardly and so diabolical in its effect on people, I don't think we'll ever know the full truth until we're in heaven. Because evolution tells you and me that we just evolved by chance, that we were a result of luck, that after a series of hits and misses, we finally made it in the great battle of life. And there is no God who designed us. There is no supreme being who has called us. There is no real purpose or destiny for us. We just happened by happenstance, by the impartial process of evolution. And can I tell you, that's crazy, baby. That's crazy. You say, Pastor Jeff, I was taught this from the time I was a child. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. How can you reckon that with the faith that you have now found, what we just read, that God, we are not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you and me. And all you got to do is let your brain just travel a little bit with this evolution thing. If evolution were true, and our distant, distant ancestors as a single-celled amoeba came crawling out of some ancient sea, some ancient primeval soup, and crawled along until finally pff, out came the legs, <laughs> and then crawled around on all four, and after all kinds of hits and misses and trials and failures... He was able to stand on two feet, I guess some sort of a glorified frog. And out of that frog came the millions and millions of species of creatures you see all around you today. Where's all the four-eyed dogs and wingless birds? Where's all the freaks that didn't make it? If evolution were true, then why are apes still apes? You can't find from the time that Darwin wrote his Origin of Species, you can't go back from that time in the 1800s to today and show me one species of anything, insect, mammal, reptile, anything that has evolved one whit from where it was when he wrote Origin of Species. Because they haven't evolved. Because they don't evolve. We are not in an evolutionary process. We are in a creation of God that is winding down to the great day that Christ comes again to this world. That's what we're in. God, hallelujah. But see, here's what it does. If I, if I believe that I'm nothing but an insignificant speck moving through an accidental universe. I have no meaning. I have no value. And you know what? Neither do you. So if I wake up one day, decide that I don't like you, and I go get a gun and decide to blow you away, I'm not blowing away a creation of God, and I will not answer to a God who will bring me to task for what I have done. I'm just blowing away another animal just like me. That's how violence can come out of this. As a culture, we have sown the wind and we're beginning to reap the whirlwind. We've sown the wind of abortion. We've sown the wind of evolutionary teaching. We have robbed from the minds of our children the knowledge of God. Paul said, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. It usually takes about three generations for a society to fully reap according to the philosophy it's embraced. By 1930, the battle over absolutes was lost in universities and seminaries. Those very places churning out the teachers of tomorrow, the seminaries. They began to be told, there's two Isaiahs. We don't know if it's the Word of God at all. Instead of letting the Word of God pick them apart, they picked it apart. They sent preachers into pulpits who didn't have a clue. They couldn't stand up and say, thus says the Lord, because they didn't believe it. The rejection of God and his word, the loss of clearly defined right and wrong, and the devaluation of life have gutted the soul of America. Now, I'm going to give you the answer I don't expect. I don't expect, unless God were to move in a miracle, that this will be embraced. But I'm going to preach it with all of my might. And I'm gonna go on radio with it, and I'm gonna go on the internet with it, and God willing, one day we'll be on TV with it. I'm gonna tell you what I think the answer is the answer is not more gun control, and it's not metal detectors, because it's not a gun problem. It's not stiffer prison terms, that won't do it. We'll just pack our prisons out and have to build more. The answer is repentance and change. Repentance and change. It's a return to moral sanity. Let's return to teaching the Ten Commandments in the home. Don't criticize the school if you're not teaching it at home. You get your kiddos at home. You open up that Bible and you teach them, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not, thou shalt not teach them the commandments. They'll start walking in the fear of God. They'll understand that there are consequences. Let's allow God and His commandments back into the schools. I guarantee I'll make a prediction put his commandments back on the wall put prayer back in schools and the metal detectors will leave let's allow the alternative teaching of creationism into the schools our tax dollars pay for they pay for them If they say, well, we just don't believe creationism has any place, say, hey, my tax dollars pay your weekly check. I want my kids taught that God said, let there be light, and there was light. If you want to teach them evolution right along next to it, that's fine with me. But at least give God a shake in the schools. Let's return to personal responsibility instead of blaming everybody else and everything else for our own mistakes. Let's stop the insane legislating of God out of our society based on the misinterpretation of separation of church and state. The separation of church and state was never to keep the church from the culture, it was to keep government out of the church. That's what it was for. And we gotta stop the insanity of expecting life to be honored when we dishonor it in our laws. In other words, let's don't give up and let's believe God that Roe versus Wade can still be overturned. And finally, old-fashioned, heartfelt, fervent, Holy Spirit-touched prayer. Our nation is headed to the cliff. This isn't bad news. I'm just being honest with you. I've studied the civilizations that have come and gone. You go all the way back. The Sumerian civilization, where Ur of the Chaldees was, that Abraham came out of, Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, the Indo-European nations, India, ancient Greece, Rome, all of them. Towering civilizations look invincible in a night. In a night. Archaeologists go there and say, How could it have happened so quickly? Because a nation is held together by God. And if he blinks, we don't need, I don't even want to say the word revival, we need a revolution. we need a revolution i want to encourage all of you stand up not literally <laughs> you can go ahead and stand up that's that's good patty was almost stood up stand up with me I want to make a prediction to you. I do believe that God is going to move in 07. But I'm going to tell you that if our government and if our nation as a people does not turn and begin to repent to God, what we've seen are little warning shots. God's not going to put up with it forever, y'all. He's just not going to. You like your home? You like your freedom? We need to start walking our talk and speaking about it, talking about it, praying about it. I prayed about this message. I said, Lord, this is a heavy message. I want to do something happy like my tie. <laughs> what is this called? Big funny, Big funny flowers. I want to do something where you jump up and... Ah, but. God said, Jeff, preach it with all of your heart and don't fear the face of any man. This needs to be heard. It needs to be heard. So do not be intimidated by the politically correct. Take a stand for Jesus wherever you are. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you change the course of a nation? One day at a time but we've got to turn. Here's the promise, and we're going to pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal, heal, heal their land. Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us for our sin our carnality, our division, our lack of unity. Forgive us, Lord, for all the things, all the times that we've not spoken up, but we have let ourselves be intimidated by the opinion of people. Lord, we just stand and ask you to forgive our country for the abortion and for, Lord, allowing our children, allowing their minds to be robbed away Father, we ask you to forgive us for the pornography, the bloodshed, the compromise that we've walked away from your truth. Forgive us, Lord. We ask you for a revival, for a revolution in America. We ask you to change it from the top down in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, Steve plays, I want you to take a minute and you just pray. If there's anything you need to get right with God, do it. And we're going to dismiss in just a moment. Go ahead and pray. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Yes, Lord. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the